Hey everybody, Ethan Hammerman here, just doing a little introduction before this particular episode of the Hammer Time Podcast. A couple of quick notes. First of all, this podcast was recorded before the trade that happened with the Eagles, so we do talk about the potential of that trade happening within this podcast, but it hadn't happened yet, so don't blame anyone for it not being referenced within this particular show. And second of all, I finally realized that I shouldn't need to be scared about putting music at the beginning of my podcast because I saw that a lot of my contemporaries are doing it and they're not getting flagged. So I am going to do it from now on because this is what I wanted to do in the first place, but I was scared that it would get kicked off of iTunes. I don't think it will now. So without further ado, here's the Hammer Time Podcast. This week's episode of the Hammer Time Podcast, we are on Playmaker Mentality. We are on iTunes every single week talking about sports, society, and stuff. And it is draft month. Last week we had Matt Walbin on. Definitely a must-listen if you're interested at all in the prospects of the day. And today we have three special guests, all of whom contribute and or run Playmaker Mentality, which is really the draft site, the premier draft site on the internet right now. First, I'm going to introduce the man sitting right next to me tonight. That is Ben Natan. Ben, how are you doing? I'm really tired, but I'm good. And welcome back. We are happy to have you back. You're on the debut podcast a few months ago, and now you're back with a vengeance, red-blooded vengeance. And we also have joining us tonight Derek Klassen, and we also have Charles McDonald on with us. You can find all of them in a bunch of different places I will make sure to accumulate all the links and add them onto the SoundCloud of this podcast, and this will also be on Playmaker Mentality, where you can listen to every episode of the Hammer Time podcast, if you so wish. We've had a lot of really great conversations. Tonight will be no different, because we are doing the most robust, 
the biggest, the baddest draft preview tonight. We're going to be going through every single position group. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things. And we're going to be getting some really, really cool perspectives on everything. To start, we're going to go to the most important position in the draft because we have yet to record a podcast since the Rams traded up to number one overall. And it sounds like they're going to be taking a quarterback at that position. Now, the top three quarterbacks in this class, pretty much consensus at this point, Carson Wentz, Paxson Lynch, and Jared Goff. Wentz and Goff seem to be considered a step above the likes of Paxson Lynch. Now, I'm just interested to start off, and we'll start with Derek. Who do you have as your top quarterback in this class? Uh, Paxton Lynch is the dude. I don't really understand why people, like, it's weird because all the criticisms of Paxton Lynch are, like, really dumb blanket statements that could easily apply to, like, Wentz or Goff. Because people are like, oh, well, Lynch can't play under center. Uh, he plays in the spread system. Well, I charted like 300 passes for Goff, and not a single one was under center. Uh, and then for Wentz, uh, you know, for Lynch, people are like, oh, well, he doesn't run pro-style concepts and all this stuff. But if you really watch uh, Wentz's offense at North Dakota State, they're running like four verticals, quick screens, and quick outs like the whole time, which is basically a spread offense that like Memphis did. So like, and he did it much worse than Paxton Lynch did. So, like, I don't really understand the backlash with Lynch. Uh, he has the best tools in the class. I think he consistently makes the best throws. Um, he definitely I, – I would say Goff moves a little bit better in the pocket, but Lynch can do it, and he's also probably the most efficient. Uh, like, Goff can't move outside of the pocket, and Wentz can't move in it, whereas Lynch can do both. So, like, I think that's kind of a big thing that people are kind of missing with him. And I know last week when we had Matt Walbin on, he compared Jared Goff to a couple of interesting guys. One of them was Jay Cutler. And I have to say, I respect what Matt does, and he puts more work in than pretty much anyone else. So I know he definitely came to that comparison after a lot of study and a lot of time. I don't think that there are two more different quarterbacks when you're looking at someone in the pros as opposed to someone in college. Chuck, what do you think about the quarterback position this year? Uh, I mean, like you said, I really respect Matt Waldman, obviously. I mean, he's like the godfather of draft Twitter. I mean, the RSP is just incredible work, and everything he does on his website is phenomenal. But I just can't get on board with saying that golf is – on tier with Winston or Mariota from last year, and I think I think I think you can make a, a safe case, a strong case for golf being the best this year. Even though I would disagree, but if golf is the best that you're offering up, uh, it's, it, that's shaky at best. And I think Paxson is probably the best guy this year, even though I'm not really in love with him either. I'm not in love with any of these guys, to be honest. Um, I, I think if you put them all at if you rank them in tiers, I think my first tier would be Paxson, Goff, uh, Cardale, and um, Vernon Adams. That's probably my first tier. And then after that, I mean, you can you can take it or leave it. I'm not. I wouldn't pound the table for any of these guys. Maybe maybe like a guy like Brissett in the later rounds, just because he, he's shown too many good things at North Carolina State where. I don't know. The flashes were fun, even if he has a lot of boneheaded moments. So I think you'd kind of build off that. But 
this class is looking rough, man. And if you need a quarterback this year, you're just kind of shit out of luck. Now, Ben, you are a fan of a team that had Sam Bradford at quarterback for an entire season, which was, by the way, an upset, the fact that he made it through an entire season. He, he got injured for two games. Well, still, that's close <laughs> enough. Honestly, that's close enough for Sam Bradford. He gets a gold star just for making it that far. Jared Goff kind of reminds me of Bradford a little bit in terms of his ability to make some really nice touch throws, and I think he throws with pretty good anticipation. But there are some major problems there as well. Uh, that I think are being a little bit under-talked about, especially when we talk about Wentz and Goff versus Lynch. Like, I just want to get your perspective on, at least for the Eagles, because the Eagles are rumored to be trading up, which one of the three quarterbacks do you think would be the best for the Eagles scheme? Uh, I think Goff would be the best for the Eagles scheme if you're looking at immediate fit, because... He is similar to Sam Bradford in a lot of ways. Just like purely as a passer, they do a lot of the same things. I think that Bradford's a lot more athletic, um, and he has a bigger arm. And the, another big issue with Goff that I don't see as much with Bradford is that Goff has a tendency to let his mistakes snowball over the course of a game. There's not really that mental fortitude where he's able to kind of come back from punches and, and uh, you know, come back from Utah. mistakes. What? Utah. Yeah, the Utah game. Oh, yeah, like the Utah game. I'm sorry. I did not know what you just said. Sorry. I thought you said Utah, and I was like, yeah, I am talking. Um, no, yeah, like the, the Utah game and the Oregon game and I think the Washington game, like, stood out where, like, he was just constantly, like, he would make a mistake, and, it, like, you saw him get more and more rigid and uncomfortable over the course of the game. And the reason I really like Lynch and I like Cardell and I like Cook um, – is that they're able to make those mistakes over the course of games, and they're able to bounce back from it. I mean, every quarterback's going to fuck up. That's just inevitable. But what you want is you want a quarterback who's able to, you know, just kind of take take his mistakes in stride and move on. And that was what was so good about Winston last year. Is I mean, there is no quarterback who has a shorter memory than Jameis Winston. He would just he would make some boneheaded mistake, and then like three throws later, he'd make the most incredible throw you've ever seen. So that's the kind of mental fortitude you want from a quarterback, and that's one of the things that really scares me about Jared Goff is that you need to kind of keep him comfortable the entire game um, and one little hitch in the road, and he's going to completely snowball, and it'll be awful. And as for Wentz, like Wentz has all the tools. Like he's, you know, he's tall, he's athletic, he's got a big arm, he has red hair, but like when it comes down to it, he's not like that it's just tools with him and, and I'm and I've been I've watched him over and over and over again. I want to see what people are seeing with this guy. But his pocket presence is like inconsistent at best. Like I don't see a guy who's like constantly standing tall and moving up in the pocket and evading rushers and like being poised and Ben Roethlisberger and stuff. Like that's not him. Like he he's he actually has a couple I mean he's more than enough instances where he's actually looking kind of shitty in the pocket and it's not like it's not an encouraging thing and then in, in terms of his actual passing abilities you want if you, if you take a guy with a big arm you want him to be a good deep thrower but he's not I wouldn't even put him in the top five deep throwers in this class I mean you have got I mean even golf is better down the field than Wentz is but like Lynch is really good down the field Cardell's really good down the field Boykin's really good down the field 
but you just don't see that accuracy with Wentz. It's a lot like Mettenberger, or Mettenberger had this huge arm, but he would just completely spray all over the field um, when it got beyond 15 yards, and that's what I'm really seeing with Wentz. And you're not going to take fucking Zach Mettenberger top two in the draft, and for a guy who doesn't throw with a lot of anticipation and accuracy, I don't want to throw him into a West Coast offense where that's like the major thing that you need from your quarterback. So theoretically, I would take golf of the top two or the theoretical top two quarterbacks in this draft. But oh, by God, I don't want to take either of them, man. <laughs> neither of them are neither of them are franchise quarterbacks. And you know, like we, a lot of talk on draft Twitter about redheads. Uh, if you're getting into bed with a redhead, you are taking a risk. You're taking and a it risk. Is, it's a big chance. It is a big, big risk that you are taking. And because it can blow up in your face. Yeah, because you're going to get three of the best fucking weeks of your life, and then you're going to find all of your clothes out in front of your house on fire. So just don't do it. Oh, God. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not getting not get, way, way me, too Me intense. included. But, that was uh, a little too real. <laughs> a little too real. Well, you know, this podcast is about – this is when it stops being polite and starts getting real. That is the Hammer Time Podcast. I'm sorry. Um, I'll shut up But, no, I think a good point that's been brought up, and I've seen this comparison thrown out a lot, and it's the concept of Blake Bortles and Derek Carr. Uh, those are two quarterbacks who I think people are a little bit higher on Carr at the beginning than Bortles, um, both of whom were big-armed, raw quarterbacks who uh, – to some degree, have found success. I mean, Blake Bortles is interesting to me because I think that we're all pretty much consider him, like, a capable quarterback at this point, even though there were times last year where he really did struggle. And a lot of the time, it did seem to me like he got a little bit of the Dante Culpepper treatment because he had Allen Robinson as his wide receiver. But I think overall, we can all agree that he's a pretty good quarterback, or at least better than some would have anticipated. We saw improve year one and year two. Still thrown 38 interceptions. That's the thing. Like, that's a little... It's a little uh, bit people concerning. People don't really talk about that, but it's yeah. A, it's a little bit concerning. But mm. you also look at Derek Carr, who had a pretty good college career with an awful offensive coordinator. My big issue with Derek Carr was, like, I thought his pocket presence was really bad, and I was a little bit scared of his ability to read defenses. He had a really bad bowl game against USC, which I think turned off a lot of people. Uh, but over the past couple of years, again, he got his young wide receiver, which helped him a lot more than people would like to admit, I think. Uh, he's emerged as one of the better young quarterbacks in the league. So what do you think as evaluators, and I'll start with Derek and then we can go around in a circle, pass it off to Charles, go back to Ben. What can we learn from those situations with this class? Should we be a little more lenient when we look at this class? Because we have seen that some of these quarterbacks are able to grow in the right system. Uh, I don't know. That's tricky because, like, do we really trust the NFL to, to like, give all these quarterbacks? Like, you know, like if someone drafts Jared Goff, do, like, we really trust him to give him all that he needs or with Carson Wentz or whoever? Like, I think you kind of have to more evaluate uh, that way, like, kind of assuming that the NFL might fuck it up because, uh, I don't know, I'd, I'd much rather err on the side of caution. Um... Goff is weird because people compare him to Carr, uh, but, like, he doesn't have the big traits that Carr had. Like, Carr was pretty damn athletic and had a cannon of an arm, and Goff is neither of those things. He has neither of those tools, um, but, you know, he has the same – I don't know. Like, so the comparisons from Goff to Carr are weird, so, like, I don't know where he fits – 
I don't know where learning from Carr kind of fits into this class other than, like, yeah, give your young guys a wide receiver. Because, I mean, we saw that with Bortles, too. Like, Bortles had Allen Robinson, and Bortles ended up probably doing better than we expected from him. I mean, I like Bortles, but I didn't expect him to throw, like, what did he throw, 35 touchdowns or something ridiculous last year? Like, I wouldn't have expected that um, even, like, by his fifth, sixth year in the NFL. So, um I think the thing that we can probably learn from Bortles is that Bortles had a very, very good pocket presence, and he was very good throwing deep. So in essence, he was an incredible playmaker, even if he wasn't the brightest at, you know, reading coverages or, uh, you know, throwing a slant or something like that. Bortles could simply make plays when you needed him to, and I think that was huge. And, and, and I think people kind of brush that along as like, oh, well, you still have to be really, really good inside the structure of the offense. It's like, the NFL's probably, the play's probably not going to go the way that you want it to. So you want a guy who's going to be able to control himself in chaos and then, you know, have the arm and, and uh, touch down the field to make huge throws and give your guys a shot. And I think that's that was something I think we kind of missed with Bortles uh, and that we're kind of missing with Paxton Lynch this year. Like Lynch is very, very good in chaos and is a very good deep thrower. And by that same note, so is Cardell. If we're going to talk about exactly. good in chaos. Yeah. Like Boykin makes ridiculous plays in and out of the pocket and then he throws pretty well deep down the field. I mean, there were certainly plays where Dachshund, uh, bailed him out, but I think to some extent you can kind of expect that from any quarterback. Because, I mean, Allen Robinson did a lot to help Bortles down the field and stuff. Same thing with, like, Evans with Jameis and Kelvin with Cam. You can't really blame quarterbacks for trusting their big guys down the field. I mean, that's just, like, yes. the nature of football. Yeah, I don't I don't get why that's a... Uh, like, I don't get why they're going to get a negative state. PFF grade because they trust their top 10 wide receiver. I think it's kind of stupid. Yeah, people bitched at Boykin. They were like, oh, well, he threw at Dachshund uh, 21 times versus Texas Tech. You're never going to be able to do that in the NFL. You're not going to have – it's like he was the best player on the field, and he was like, open all the that's time. That's what the Why Jets would, like, did this year. Like, the, the Jets just forced the ball, like, to Brandon Marshall, like, 75% of the time, and they made Ryan Fitzpatrick look good. Like – that's just how it works sometimes. Just feed your – I mean, as Matt Harmon says, target your good players and good things will happen. I mean, Eli Manning has actually looked like a good quarterback the past two years since he's had Odell Beckham Jr. And part of the thing is, like, and I think about this in Teddy Bridgewater terms, because I know Teddy, still a darling of many, but some sour at him because of his low touchdown numbers. I think if Teddy is on the Raiders, first of all, I think he makes the Pro Bowl pretty easily. And second of all, I think that team makes the playoffs. Oh, yeah. I don't think that it's very close. Uh, and I'm not sure I can say that if Carr's on the Vikings. Maybe they would. I, don't know. I, th- I think that team was probably good enough to make the playoffs, but it would be I, – I, I think that definitely we sometimes overlook the other assets and how they help quarterbacks. I mean, Chuck, you're a Falcons fan. If Matt Ryan was on a different team this year, wouldn't we be saying his career is dead right about now, but luckily in Julio Jones? Yeah, and I mean, if you, if you turn the clock back like – four or five years where we had we had the same conversation with Philip Rivers. Which kinda gives me hope for Matt Ryan towards the future, but I mean that's that's a little bit of a separate note. But I mean like I don't get what people get so upset when when you see Trevon Boykin just kinda get into trouble and he'll just say, Oh, well, you know, I got this you know, Jolly Green Giant running down the field, I'm just gonna toss it up and see if he can make something happen. Like why I don't get why that's why that's 
but it's such a conundrum on draft Twitter. It just it doesn't make sense. Like when when I was in people want him to take a sack? Like I don't understand. Yeah, when I was in high school we had this receiver who was six four and our quarterback was just like, you know what? I, I, I may not make the most accurate throw, but I'm just gonna launch it downfield and based on him being bigger than the other person and more athletic, we're just gonna see if we can make this happen. It's it's weird because we see like and we 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 see, we see like Andy Dalton just toss up to AJ Green, Matt Ryan toss up to Julio Jones, just Patrick to Brandon Marshall, Eli Manning, like Odell Green Beckman. We all we we praise them for giving their top playmakers chances to do what they do best, make plays. And then when we evaluate in the in the in the college game, we say, oh, you know, those plays aren't translatable. Those plays don't work in the NFL. But we we see it week in and week out. You just I think people look at quarterbacks so isolated and take the take like they they, do, they, they elevate quarterbacks so much when they when they look at it in college they forget you know there's freaking ten other people on the field that you kind of have to rely on and trust to do their jobs and make their plays for you to even look half decent most of the times. Yeah, and and I think that's something that's really important. I think we brought this up, uh, you know, weeks and weeks ago when we were talking about quarterbacks. I think it's so important to just look at the like the game of a quarterback holistically because these guys are throwing the ball 35, 45 times a game, and you can't look at every single you can't look at every single throw in a vacuum and evaluate them that way. You need to look at their game as a whole and see what basically what the outcome of the game was and what the outcome of the play was because it's it's such a unique situation. And yeah, this is a little bit airing on like the QB win side of everything, but I mean that's what you have to do. It's like, did it work? Has it worked consistently for them? If it has, then like maybe it's probably going to work going forward. And that's what like that's what happened with um, Jameis last or like over the course of his career at. Um, at Florida State, where it's like, oh, well, him being so aggressive, like, he's going to really get into trouble in the NFL. Yeah, and then he went to a team that had two humongous wide receivers, and he looked really, really good throwing to them during his rookie year. Like, how shocking is that? And um, and the thing that's interesting is that we, like, people get knocked for that, but then when I watch Wentz, to circle back around to Wentz, um, when, when I watch Wentz, a lot of the throws I come away most impressed with are 50-50 throws. And like his ability, and, and this is one, a place where I credit Wentz is he's he's a he's an aggressive quarterback and he's willing to take those chances down the field, um, and take those chances in tight spots in the red zone and everything like that. And that's something you I, I want from a quarterback. I want a quarterback to be aggressive. I mean, Jared Goff is kind of a bitch with that whole thing, which is a, one of the things I really don't like about him. And uh, something I'm going to give you know Wentz credit on is he's an aggressive he's an aggressive quarterback, and he a lot of his best plays come from that. And yet we don't hear about how oh, well, you know, that, that's never going to happen in the NFL. But, like, if, uh, if you know, Boykin does it, then it's like, oh, well, he's not going to have Josh Doxson in the NFL. Even Connor Cook gets knocked for it, too. Connor Cook does it all the time with Aaron Burbage, where he's, like, throwing those 50-50 balls to him, and then people are like, oh, well, you know, a lot of his best plays are 50-50 balls. It's like, well, I want a quarterback who's willing to take those chances. And if you're drafting a guy who doesn't take those chances, then he's going to, like, if he's not willing to be aggressive in the college, he's not going to be willing to be aggressive in the NFL. And if you don't have an aggressive quarterback, you're not going to win football games. And we can talk about a lot of those other quarterbacks now. This is a – there's so many people to talk about, and I want to make sure that we give all of them uh, just some conversation. So before we move on to another position, 
Uh, let's just quickly run through some of the other quarterbacks, just like some quick takes on them. I want to start with Connor Cook because Ben brought him up. Um, I think that you guys are a little bit higher on Connor Cook than I am. I personally, I see the upside. I think he makes some nice plays. I don't think he's very good at reading defenses. Uh, I think I see a lot of issues with him uh, falling for disguises. And I also, I think that some of the attitude thing, I understand the perspective that, uh, and this is something that I think is a larger conversation to have as well, but I understand some of the perspective that, like, oh, we put too much credence into the intangible aspect. But I was, I fell for Geno Smith pretty hard. Uh, because there was a lot of conversation that, you know, like, he had all these intangibles, that he was really involved with his team. But when things were going well, of course he'd be involved with his team. But when things went to shit, um, he sort of self-destructed. And that's what scares me a little, about, a little bit about Connor Cook. I don't think he's someone who's had to face a lot of adversity. And I, from what I've heard and this is something that we heard a lot at the Senior Bowl, uh, people really, really don't like Connor Cook. Like, they just really don't like him. I don't know why. Um, I think part of it is that his parents are a little bit uppity, uh, which doesn't help him. He looks like that. He, yeah, he looks a little bit like his parents, a little bit uppity. <laughs> but I think another part of it is that there is a question. When you're a second-round pick, uh, I think that there's a, it's sort of like flipping a coin. On one hand, you could end up getting humbled, but on the other hand, it could just turn you more petulant, and when you have to face adversity, you could struggle with that. So, I know that now there's a little bit of buzz that Connor Cook could go at the end of the first round to, like, the Broncos. Uh, there was buzz today that Christian Hackenberg could go Ugh. at the end of the first round to the Broncos. And I know that you all love Vernon Adams. So, uh, Derek, I'll go to you first. Why don't you quickly touch on your thoughts on those quarterbacks? I think Cook is kind of just, like, an asshole. And, with like, that might be okay because, like, Tom Brady's kind of an asshole. Like, Philip Rivers is kind of an asshole. So if that's all that the problem is, I don't really think that I care because a lot of guys on the team were still, like, on the field. I mean, he was the guy we could rally behind. So I was like, okay, I can kind of buy into that. Um, I do like Cook as a passer, though. I think he's sort of like Eli Manning. Um where, like, he's probably going to do some dumb shit, but he also can make some incredible throws. Um, and I think – and his, his the arm thing is weird because all year and stuff, people were like, oh, Connor Cook has an arm. Connor Cook has an arm. Look at that. Look at that crazy throw. Look at that arm. And then he goes to the combine and puts, like, 50 on the radar, and all of a sudden more people are like, oh, fuck, he can't throw. It's like, what? Like, we know he had shoulder issues. Like, I don't know. So that was weird. Um, I'd probably take Connor Cook in the second. Um, because I think, like, his middle ground is he probably ends up, like, an Andy Dalton-type starter, and if, like, in the second round, if that's, like, his middle ground and I can maybe get a little bit more out of him than that, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with that in, like, the second round, so, um, especially since he's an aggressive quarterback, I like that, because he'll just kind of, if you need him a big guy, like, um, in Evans or something, I mean, he can just be aggressive and make big plays that way. Uh, Vernon Adams is awesome. He's kind of like Tyrod Taylor. Um, he's going to make plays in and out of the pocket. He's probably going to improvise a little bit more than you would like, but at the same time, he's kind of like, I mean, I'm not saying he's near as talented as Favre, but like with Favre, there were all these moments where coaches would be like, Jesus Christ, what is he doing? And then by the end of the play, you're like, oh, well, that, that works somehow. And that's kind of how Adams feels. 
Um, so I think that, like I've said it before with Adams, there's kind of a method to his madness and he's not just moving to move because when you see him move in the pocket and like behind the line of scrimmage running sideline to sideline or whatever, he's not trying to pass the line of scrimmage to make a play. He's trying to make a throw and he kind of knows what he's doing in terms of, you know, when he needs to get the ball off and, and those sorts of things. So, um, I think he's about Tyrod Taylor-ish. He's already more aggressive than Taylor is over the middle of the field, though, so that's uh, that's nice because Taylor kind of has issues throwing over the middle of the field, whereas I'm probably pretty comfortable with Adams doing that. Um, I'd take Adams in the second as well. Um, who are other? Cardell is weird. He's, like, really enigmatic because he had this incredible 2014 run. Uh, where he just opened up Ohio State's offense. You could see he had talent as, you know, like a between-the-tackles runner. Um, he had this great deep ball. He could really fire in things over the middle, like windows that a lot of guys in this class just can't hit. Um, and, and, you know, like, he just could do some things that a lot of guys in this class can't do. But then, you know, in 2015, he kind of imploded. And I think a lot of that was because Urban just didn't like him for whatever reason. And he wasn't Urban's type of quarterback. Because if you look at Urban's, you know, quarterback history, they're kind of all just yes men, like, just do what I tell you to do. And if you don't, I don't like you. And I think Cardell was a little too aggressive and willy-nilly for Urban, and that kind of imploded and made him look worse than he is. I'd probably take a shot on Cardell in, like, the third round because I think there's, like, absurd upside there. And I don't think his floor is really as bad as people are saying. Um... Boykin is kind of the same way. Boykin can scramble like hell. He's Boykin is kind of like Johnny Manziel, like on the field. Obviously, if um, if Johnny Manziel was like way faster and had a much better arm, so uh, so I, I'd probably take him in like a third round too. So I think those are all good takes. I, I actually have Cardell a little higher than Cook. Um, super quick. Christian Hackenberg, we're all we're all nose on, right? Like Christian Hackenberg, get, get him away. Yeah, There's a whole feature on him today. Did you I'm, see the fe- I'm walking off. I, I'm okay with uh, I'm okay with not dying on that one. Yeah, there was a feature um, that came out in Bleacher Report about how ha- much Hackenberg hated Penn State, and it, <laughs> it was it was the first six paragraphs about how he watched every ounce of like Tom Brady's pro style game tape. And how he memorized all of it. And then, of course, James Franklin comes in and brings in the spread, and he can't run it. And so he pretty much just used that as a crutch to blame why his performance slipped. And someone, I don't remember who, but somebody said that, oh, Gruden said that Hackenberg wasn't going to get out of the first round. If Christian Hackenberg goes in the first round of the draft to a team, uh, that would be the most egregious quarterback pick in the past decade at the very least. Then I would. Would it be worse okay. than Gabbard? I don't know. No, I was just about to say it, this. It would be the worst one since Gabbard. The thing with Gabbard no, though is going first overall would be pretty bad. Well, yeah, that would be pretty bad too. But I mean, Hackenberg like. He, I mean, at least, at least Wentz was like had like a successful college career. Yeah. The, yeah, the only one that could be bad. worse that I would think of is Christian Ponder because that one was. He, he shouldn't have been a first two days pick, much less the first round pick. But. Um, the one other quarterback sleeper I wanted to call out, and I like the Tyrod comparison for Adams. The one thing with Tyrod that I think we underrate, his receivers, they're not built to go over the middle. So I think that sort of maybe 
inhibited him from throwing over the middle more because all of his receivers are small and they all are more perimeter-oriented receivers. So I, I do think that if he had a bigger guy over the middle, someone who could win those 50-50 balls, it might change that perception of him a bit. But the sleeper I have is this guy from Dartmouth named Dallin Williams. And finally, we're beginning to see a little bit more tape on him, but he throws, to me, the prettiest deep ball in the draft. Um, and I, I'm a big, big fan of him. He has really good anticipation, really good mobility. I think he's someone who could uh, be a nice sleeper, end up sticking on a roster long term. I know that Emery Hunt's a fan of his as well. Anyway, I want to jump to the next sort of set of positions, running back, receiver, tight end. Uh, we're going to start by talking about a couple of the main targets at the top of the board for each of these positions. Uh, first, let's quickly talk about running backs. So Zeke Elliott is someone who, uh, in the minds of many, is better than Todd Gurley. I've heard from multiple people that the Cowboys might take him at four. Please no. Um, so that is something that definitely is in play. What are Would you take him in the top five, and can you see any reason why Zeke Elliott won't be a really good pro? If I'm, I mean, if I was Cleveland, I'd take him at two, whatever. Like, you, you got, you potentially have your quarterback for the season in RG3, but the rest of that offense is pretty barren, especially if you don't get Josh Gordon back from from suspension. Um, I, I mean, I just don't see any way that he's a bad NFL running back, and he's he's going to touch the ball more than almost any other player on your offense, and he's already shown the ability to be, you know, consistently healthy, and he's 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 just going to be a dynamic weapon from day one. Um, I don't I don't get the argument that taking a running back in the top ten is too high. Because I, I mean, you, you can make that about literally any position. Oh, well, you know, Jamarcus Russell was a bust. Don't take a quarterback in the top five. Uh, oh, uh, Eric Fisher sucked for his first you know, three three years in the league. Don't take a tackle in the top five. I mean, it's just dumb. If you think a guy can be a game-breaking top, which Elliott clearly is, you, you take that player high every time. If you're going to make him the focal point of your offense, and he's going to touch the ball 25, 30 times a game, I just, how is that bad value? It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense when you think about it. I mean, doesn't, doesn't Elliot in Cleveland, like, sort of recreate that Ohio State, Cardell, Ezekiel, like, dynamic, except that RG3 is a lot better? And that line is yeah. bad. That's the is one thing that scares me about Cleveland. But is I, it actually bad? Yeah, because they just lost, like, Schwartz, and didn't they also lose, they lost Mac. Mac, Mac has been on the decline for a, a, mi- a little minute now. I mean, I they think if Cam Irving played got, center, they'd be in good shape, but I don't think they're going to play him at center. They still have Batonio. You still got, and, uh, you still got two Thomas. elite players in Joe Thomas and Batonio. So, I mean, I, I think if Greco's a solid, a solid starting like right guard and tackle kind of swing guy, I just think you got to get Cam Irving to improve his technique and then maybe find another uh, upgraded guard, but... I don't. I just don't think the offensive line is as bad as people are making out to be. We have two elite players on there. The one thing I like about Zeke, though, and this is why I, I almost think that unless he ends up being much more of a party animal than we think he is, which there have been rumors that he uses X, but otherwise, 
Um, yeah, I, I think I honestly think that it's yeah. like not as big a deal as people think it is. But either way, as long as he doesn't like drug himself out of the league, uh, he succeeds in so many ways that I I think it's pretty it's pretty hard for me to envision him not being a success. Um, even if his best case scenario is like a Darren McFadden peak type, which I think would be better than that. But like even Darren McFadden was like a top three fantasy option for a few years, so. I I don't really think that Zeke is going to be bad. I think that he's probably the safest pick in this draft. Do you agree, Ben? I mean, Zeke's my number one player in the draft. I think that he's incredibly safe. And the thing that's so incredible about him is, like, he touches the ball so – he touched the ball so much at Ohio State, and, like, there was nary a a negative play from him. Like, he was so good at constantly finding yardage – and, like, he can create really well behind the line, and he's so good at the second level. His vision is ridiculous. Um, he's a lot more agile than I think people talk about, and he's a lot more agile than someone his size should be. He runs he runs pissed off. He's strong as hell, and he's a really good receiver. And then on top of that, he can block. And I think, like, worst-case scenario, you're getting Matt Forte, which is fine. And in, and in this class, when there's a really – I mean, there's, like, four actually good players in this class – so if you want a guy who's going to change the dynamic, like change the complete, like can, yeah, change the makeup of your offense, take the guy who's going to who's going to touch the ball thirty times a game and get positive yardage on you know twenty eight of those thirty touches. It's just it doesn't make sense to me that you're devaluing the position. It's like oh well, running backs don't last very long. It's like dude, he's twenty one years old. You're going to get eight years of production out of that guy. That's a lot more than most NFL draft picks. It's just it's. It's ridiculous. Just draft Elliott if you need good offensive players. Like, the Titans could have fucking taken him, and they would have ended up being fine. Like, but they, they're they stupid, so. Theoretically, if Elliott, you know, only has, like, five good years, how different is an NFL team from year one to, like, year five in any given five-year cycle? Like, it's an entirely different team anyway. So like I don't understand the argument of like oh well you're only gonna have you're not gonna be able to sustain uh you know this team with Elliot. It's like teams change all the goddamn time anyway. It doesn't matter. Now switching gears to the wide receiver position, another player who seemingly has been slipping the past few weeks is Laquan Treadwell. Uh, didn't run the best forty at the combine. Did have really good tape. I think that there's more fear coming out about his injury that might have made him lose a step. Uh, I saw a mock draft today that had him going to the Panthers at 30, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I guess my question is, do you still think that Treadwell uh, merits a top 15 pick in this class? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Like 15? There's not 15 other better players. Right. I think if you read Peter King's piece um, where he was going around talking to GMs about how they felt about this draft class, I, I, the one executive that said, once once you get to pick 11 or 10, you're getting like you're getting the same player from 11 to 50 in this draft class. And I think that's, that's a, just a perfect way to put it. And, I think I think Treadwell is definitely definitely belongs in that category. So I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Treadwell go, you know, uh, like the top fifteen, like twelfth to New Orleans, kind of makes sense. 
Um, or, or even if I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he would go twelve or, or like forty ish. But I mean, I, I for me, he's definitely one of the top fifteen players in this draft. But to be honest, I've only watched four receivers. I completely lost interest in the class after the Falcons just dumped the truck for Muhammad Freakinson, who had zero touchdowns last year and like three hundred receiving yards. So I'm 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 a little bit biased because. I, my sample size is smaller, but I think Treadwell is definitely one of the better players this year. So I do think this is an interesting debate, though, and I'm going to turn it over to Ben to answer this first, but everyone will get a chance. We've heard now from Daniel Jeremiah, from Lance Zerline, Will Fuller might be the first wide receiver taken. Um, I personally have Corey Coleman as the number one wide receiver. Josh Doxson might be a really, really good athlete and better than people originally anticipated. So in this class, who is your number one wide receiver? Who would you take first? My number one wide receiver is Corey Coleman because that dude is just, like, human offense. Like, he's a very, very good deep threat. He can play over the middle. He can create yards after the catch. He can make plays on screens. You can use him, you know, in the backfield. And his – like, his vision in the open field is ridiculous for a wide receiver. He's an incredible athlete. People kind of, like, talk about him like he's, like, this really passive player. And he has plays where it would give you that idea, but then he has more plays where he, like, I think Art Bryle said it best, like, he will rip your heart out. And he has a couple of plays, you know, at the catch point or right, you know, right after the catch, you'll, like, run through guys or, or juke around guys. He just, like, he's, he's, like, a video game player, basically, and when a guy is able to consistently create so much as much as like as much as he is doing and I don't see it from any other player in the class like you just have to get that guy on your football team and you need to get the ball to him because I think he's gonna be really really good and and in terms of Will Fuller I think that it's weird because I mean it's not weird because draft Twitter hates him for the most part but and I get it, like, his hands aren't great, but he offers something that I don't think really anyone else in this class really offers. I mean, he's a legit, legit deep threat. And and I keep on bringing this up, but when Deshaun Jackson was coming out of Cal, like, his hands were really bad. And his first three years, I think his first three years in Philadelphia, his hands were really, really bad. But the fact of the matter is, is, like, you would you would have him on a nine, a nine route, and you would throw it deep to him, and he would drop it. And then the very next play, you would go right back to him, and he would score a 40-yard touchdown. And that's just the, I mean, that's the kind of player that Will Fuller is, but those are, that's also the kind of player that you need on your football team. You need players who are consistently able to threaten the big play. I mean, I saw this with the Eagles last year. They had no guy to, like, con- who was consistently threatening threatening to score a touchdown, either a running back or a wide receiver. And because of that, the, the, the field gets smaller. I mean, defenses are able to clamp down because they're not scared of anybody. And you need a player like that who can threaten down the field and, and can make defenses respect some sort of speed. And that's what Fuller brings to a team. And he has plenty of plays where he can go up. Like, he shows that he can go up and get it. Um, and it's not something he's completely incapable of. It's just something he needs to nail down consistently. But if you're getting a guy who can turn, you know, if he can turn every five targets into like a twenty yard gain, like that's that's I think that's an important player to have on your offense. And I would take that in the first round, especially in this draft. Maybe not the first receiver, but still. Uh I'm kinda like Chuck where I have like with this entire draft class I kinda just lost interest outside the quarterback position. Um so basically all the receivers that I've seen are 
I've seen Coleman, Treadwell, uh, and Doxon, and then like a couple of other guys uh, working for Optimum. Cool. So out of like those, like I, I think the argument for me is clearly out of those three. At this point, um, I'm honestly kind of okay with I, any one of them being the top receiver because Treadwell is going to be the guy that um, I think he runs the best routes out of all of them. You can probably count on him to be most consistently open. Um, and I, I still think he's pretty good at contest, contested catches and stuff. His 2014 was absurd before his injury. Uh, and then he came back like the bowl game against Oklahoma State or whatever, scored three touchdowns against some Kevin Peterson that for some reason draft Twitter loves, but he looked awful. Um, Let's see. With with Doxon, I think Doxon <laughs> is a, like really freak athlete. Like he, Justice made a good point. Like I think it was Justice. Like if you watch his West Virginia touchdown, he talks about it all the time. That's like an absurdly athletic play because he kind of beats the guy, gets around him, and ducks himself, and then just takes off and sprints for like eight yards and just creates a ton, a ton of room between him and the corner. And I don't really know how many other guys in the class can do that. And then he obviously has incredible leaping ability to high point and stuff. So I think Doxon's really good. And then Coleman, like Ben was saying, he's just kind of like a human touchdown. So I'm cool with like, oh, you have to feed him the ball. Like, he's explosive as shit. I'm kind of cool with that. Like, I'll manufacture some touches because I don't think you have to do that. But at the same time, if you do, there's probably going to be a really high payoff. He's, he's baby Martavis. I, I, yes. well, I, I, I think he could be Antonio, to be honest. That's his ceiling, yeah. I think his ceiling's Antonio. That's my thing with Coleman. Um, we're going to end on the skill position players after one more thing, and this is the time when you can vent a little bit. Um, I'll give. We're either going to end on a positive or negative for receivers and running backs, so either position or tight ends you really want. Um either the worst take that you have seen recently at this position or a, a hot take that you want to uh, to throw down. And I'm Hold on, to... okay. There, there was one today. The worst oh, I've probably God. seen this whole draft. Oh, like, yeah, someone yeah, yeah. Said that Kenyon Drake, someone said that Kenyon Drake was, like, as good or better than Christian fucking McCaffrey. They were like, no, not as good. Clearly better. Clearly better. <laughs> That's, like... That's unbelievable. Like, Nick Saban, who is probably the smartest football mind that we've seen in college football in our generation, didn't give him touches except for sparingly, and we're going to say that he was better than the guy who damn near won Heisman and, like, created Stanford's entire offense? Like, there's no way. It's so so dumb. I saw a take that said that Kenny Drake (laughs) is better than Derrick Henry. I saw a lot of takes like that. That's a popular yeah, one. Yeah, that's like a, that's a simpler, more common one, but even that doesn't make sense. The comparison that I hear for Kenyon Drake, funnily enough, because the Giants like him, is David Wilson. Uh, people seem to think that he has this, like, explosiveness that translates. And personally, I don't have him in my top 15 running backs. Um, I, I'm a little bit more questionable on that. But, yeah, some people seem to really, really like Kenyon Drake, and I am not sure why at all. Um, it doesn't make any sense. He didn't start one game like his entire college and career. He has really he rough injury history too. Oh, yeah. Like legit, his rough leg injury. like turned around. Oh, I don't even want to think about. Oh my that god, injury. that was one of the worst injuries I've ever seen. The the thing with Drake is like he will make one 
absurd cut move like every four games and people are just like oh shit that's why he's better than Henry and then Henry has like 25 good runs in a game you're like He's a full That back. doesn't add up. Like, He's you're doing back. something wrong. He's a full <laughs> um, Ben, do you have any bad takes that you've seen or any proclamations you want to make? Um, no. I, I mean, there was a comparison for Michael Thomas from Ohio State, and someone compared him to Des Bryant, which I thought was pretty bad because I don't see that at all. I actually like Michael Thomas. Uh, I don't think he's a top receiver in the class, but my comp for him is Miles Austin. I think I'll be a really, really good number two. Yeah, which I think that's is fine. That's fine. I think that that's totally fine. No, that's, I would. I don't know if I take that in like hide first round. No, he's like, like, he's, like a top, he's a top fifty player. Like I'm okay saying that. I don't think he's like. I don't think he's dynamic at all. Um, you're just gonna get like a really. He's probably like a really solid like possession guy who can kind of create a little bit after the catch. But like I don't think he's like. He's not Des Bryant. I will say one sleeper in this class, and I know Ben's a fan too, and we'll end on this note. Uh, I'm a big fan of Kiaris Garrett from SMU. I think he reminds me a little bit of Brandon Marshall. He's somebody who can high point. He does everything well in the vertical game. He's faster than people think. I think he's going to end up getting picked day three. I want to say round four, round five. I think he could be a top five rookie in terms of receptions this year. That's That's my hot wide receiver take. Anyway, we're going to move on to the trench and the edge positions. Um, so that's offensive line, defensive end, defensive tackle, edge players sort of lumped into defensive end there. Um, and I want to start with Chuck here. Um, so I think we all agree that Laramie Tunsil is the best offensive tackle in the class. He might be a uh, generational player at the position. Uh, but I want to touch on some of the more polarizing offensive linemen, at least in my mind, and that's Ronnie Stanley and Jack Conklin, uh, two offensive tackles who both are mocked in the top 15 pretty regularly. I saw Stanley mocked to the Eagles in a mock draft today. People love that. Um, so, Chuck, starting with you, what do you think about those two guys? And also, if you want to talk about Jason Spriggs as well, that's fine. I know Jason Spriggs. I saw that NDT scouting, Kyla Krabs, who is a good guy, he had him as a second overall player in the class. I'm, that that might be one of the hotter takes I've seen on him. Um, so yeah, what do you think about those three? Uh, I mean, the, the Conklin hype is weird because I mean, if if I, I haven't written any content about him, but if you look, if you go to like Brandon Thorne or Duke Manyweather, Manyweather, or even Sully's timeline, the dude just. He just doesn't know how to play football. And but it, the things he can do, you, it, you can get it done on a college field where you're just going against, like, Purdue and Indiana and, you know, kind of bums like that. But we saw it in the championship game uh, – or not the championship game, the, the uh, playoff. playoff game against Alabama where he's going against guys like Jonathan Allen and Tim Williams and – he's just not good enough. You know, he, he comes out of the stands and his, hand, his hands are by his hips. And I mean, I'll give him this. He, he's kind of a tough son of a bitch in the run game, but the technique just has so far to go. But, you know, we see NFL teams just get excited over size and attitude and athleticism. And I, I guess Conklin does have that. So, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to be surprised when he goes in the, anywhere from, you know, like, Pick ten twenty. That that's that's not going to surprise me. I wouldn't do it. Um, 
and moving on to Stanley, it was so we, we had the debate with Stanley and Tunsil, I, I guess like starting the last summer and and I think with the offensive line, especially when you're coming straight into the league, if you're a little bit rough around the edges, you at least gotta have the personality to just put your put your head into somebody's chest and drive them as far as you can up the field or just kind of be dirty, kind of be an asshole, but you just you don't see that with Stanley. He, you know, he's a pretty clean pass protector, and I'll give him that. I, I, I don't really have any big concerns about him protecting the blind side pretty early on, but you can see when he's uh, coming downhill, going to the second level, trying to reach guys on his own plays, the, the toughness and strength is just not there. He's, he's getting pushed you know, two or three yards in the backfield, uh, trying to reach guys when he's coming downhill, he's getting popped by linebackers. It's just, it was just ugly. And I, I charted um, Tunsil, Decker, Stanley, and Conklin for an optimum scouting draft guide, and Stanley was like by far the worst run blocker, like a good ten to fifteen percent uh, worse success rate than the other three on all the run blocking plays. And he's he's just not he's he's really just not ready to make an impact in that department yet. And we already saw teams kind of declare him as an athletic pass-blocking tackle, but he didn't even test well at the combine. So I think he's more like a fringe first-round player, but this class is filled with fringe first-round players, so he might end up sneaking in that like, top 20 area. He might go top 10, though. That's like totally crazy to me. I, I don't understand yeah, I how that's happening. It, it doesn't make any sense. At all. And the thing with Stanley also is that I know that some people are scared about his mentality. Um, people don't think he loves football, which I think in some cases is overblown. But if it's at a position where you are going to need to dedicate a lot of time to your craft to get better, um, I, I do think it makes – there is something to be said about putting in the extra hours to try and reach that point. And with the offensive line, like, he needs to get stronger. And I, I'm a little bit concerned about his ability to do that at this point. Now, one other offensive lineman that I quickly want to touch on who I've seen some pretty polarizing opinions on is Ryan Kelly. I've seen some people put him in round one. I've seen others say that he's, like, not very good. Uh, Do we have any Ryan Kelly takes? I think he's he's a beast. Honestly, (laughs) I think he's one of the best centers I've seen. Uh, I mean, look at look at the rest of that Alabama offensive line from last year. You got Cam Robinson, who's a stud when he's healthy, but he was hurt pretty much the entire season. And then the other three guys are just not good at all, especially that right tackle that Kevin Dodd just annihilated in the championship game. I mean, when they when when they're running those ISO plays and. Uh, you know that those short zone, the short zones uh, in the middle of the offensive line. Kelly is getting like all the push, or he's he's getting to the other hip of the defensive tackles. But there's just a lot of plays where he's just he's left out on the island by the right guard off Hans Taylor. And I think once he gets to the NFL, he has NFL talent starting next to him. I I think he's really going to shine and be one of the best centers in the league a few years from now. Perfect segue because let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Let's talk about the edge trench guys. Um, first of all, Kevin Dodd, I, I think 
He's not going to be a sack artist. I think we all agree with that. The comparison that came to mind to me is someone a little bit old school. I was talking to Eric Edholm from Yahoo about it, is former Miami Dolphins edge guy Matt Roth, who went to Iowa and did a little bit of everything for the Dolphins. I remember Matt Roth. And Ben is smiling right now because, yes, yeah. he is. Did he play for the Jags, too? I think he did play for the Jaguars, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that dog could be a Matt Roth plus, meaning I think that Roth averaged five sacks in his career. I think Dodd can average seven and still provide, like, a really stable presence on the edge. And I think that in this class, that might be worth a first-round pick. I have a fringe first, second-round grade on him. But one defensive lineman who, to me, is really making a rise, um, at least in the minds of many. I had him as a first-round pick for a while. Uh, that's Chris Jones from Mississippi State. I think Chris Jones might be a top-ten pick in this class. Do you disagree? I I mean, I don't. And Chuck and, Chuck and I actually talked about this today. Where I, I mean, I'm a little bit caught up in the athleticism. I think Justice has fully converted me into like just being a force player type of stan. Where you, I just see a lot of juice from Jones, and you can move him around a lot more than, say, Buckner. Where and yeah, he's a little bit raw, but like his on plays are really, really impressive. And if you can get more of that, which I think you can, I think we've seen like guys transition pretty easily, especially the interior defensive linemen, like athletics interior defensive linemen. Um, then you're going to end up getting a really, really good player in Chris Jones. So yeah, I've I'm on board with him being a first round pick. Um. I don't know, man. Like I, I, I finished with uh, with Chris Jones as uh, great now as the second rounder, and I do like parts of his game, but I mean, there's just a lot, a lot missing there. And uh, I, 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 I would bet on him being, you know, coming in being a, a pretty solid rotational guy. To started off the career, and you started him a few games, and he's not going to kill you, but there's just, you know, the pad level sucks. The hand usage is pretty bad on a consistent basis. But I think one saving grace of Chris Jones' game right now is that at least, at the very least, he, you know he's not going to get blown, you know, five, seven yards off the line of scrimmage, like even on his worst plays, which I, I think is a is a little bit of an underrated facet when we look at uh, defensive line play when we're scouting and really just across the league, he's, he's, if your worst play is, you know, you get driven back one yard off the ball, that's fine. Cause you're still in your gap and the linebackers can still run and make plays. But I don't really see the, like the consistent, I don't see a consistent enough effort beating blocks. Um, like, I mean, en- enough to where I'm going to say, okay, I'll, I'll take this guy in the top 10, even in this class. I, I don't, I don't see the consistency there. And, if you're not banking on him getting that much better than he already is, then you probably just got, like, an average five tech who's going to make some splash plays through, uh, due to athleticism. And I think you bring up an interesting comparison there. Um, and let's talk a little bit about Robert Kemdiche, Um because he is someone who I do think, if he misses, he will get blown off the ball. Uh, he goes really skinny a lot. He wins off with uh, athletic burst. Uh, he is very similar to me, to Dominique Easley, the guy who just got cut from the Patriots, um, for reasons outside of football, granted, uh, which Kim Diche also might have in spades, and potentially for a similar reason, 
Um, there have been a lot of leaks from the Patriots. I don't know if you've been following this Dominic Easel situation at all. Derek, this is for you mostly. Uh, there have yeah, been a lot of wait, leaks what's the... up with this? Because, like, I don't get it. So, there have been a lot of leaks from the Patriots locker room about how he was a bad teammate. A lot of leaks about how he, like, didn't care about football, about how he didn't want to be drafted by the Patriots, about how he never wanted to be there, about how, like, he didn't interact with the team. And anytime you see that, and I, I don't know what your experiences have been, but my experience has been that that is pretty much the front office trying to cover something up. Um, yeah, it is, because because from what I know at Florida, like, if you watch interviews of him at Florida, they just ask him stuff. He's like, yeah, I just want to, like, kill everyone that's on the other side of the ball. And, like, if you want to just destroy the people across from you, you don't not love football. Like, you love getting out there just killing people. Like, and you look at, look at, look at... Dom Easley, he was doing barrel rolls and, like, looking like he had big chain whips, like he was working out, doing it, like, right in front of guards and tackles. Like, Dominic Easley was just a weird – he – I don't know. I don't see how he didn't love football. There are a few players I've ever come across in Gators history that seem to love playing football like Dominic Easley. So to say that he didn't want to be there and stuff, that – there's something else going on. Yeah, and I, I have a theory, and it isn't substantiated yet, and so I, I can't talk about it in too much detail. I did tweet something about it, but I, I think that the reason why Chandler Jones got traded is not disconnected from the reason why Dominic Easley is no longer on the team. But we'll leave it at that. Um, but I think Kim Dice has similar questions. Um, in terms of talent, I mean, Easley was amazing for the Patriots. Like, I think Easley uh, was, I mean, Bleacher Report had him as a top 10 tackle this past year. For me, I think he was probably the second best tackle behind Alan Branch, who I thought had one of the most underrated seasons um, of all defensive linemen in football. I thought he was phenomenal this past year for the Patriots, but Easley was also great. And... I think that Kim DJ will provide a little bit of burst. He'll provide some of that fire for a team. I think he can provide interior pass rush. But where do we value that? In this class, since it is a weaker class, do we value it a little bit higher? Or do we think maybe he's the kind of guy you wait until the second round to take because of the baggage and the fact that he might not be the most stout defensive tackle? Well, I mean, I I don't want to judge off the field issues unless it's like clear domestic violence or something along those lines I mean I, he, he he does seem like a weird dude kind of but he, I mean he's just he's just not everyone's the same he's just kind of different so I'm not really even factoring that in to my evaluation of him I, I just think on the field there's just a, a lot to a, a lot that's left to be desired. And I, I even think, you know, a lot of people point to that Alabama game as kind of his signature moment. But if you go back and look at, like, the all-22 behind the Alabama offensive line, a lot of, like, a, a lot of those plays were just miscommunications, like I said before, between Ryan Kelly and the right guard, where the right guard is just, the right, the right guard is chipping to the second level, but Ryan Kelly thinks he has a second level block at the same time, and it, it was just uncoordinated. And if you let if you let a guy who's as athletic as Kim Dichie split a double team pretty much unimpeded, 
he's going to get to the backfield in two seconds, literally every single time. And and then you see, if you go back and see his game versus Fresno State on draft breakdown, he's getting blown off the ball and literally ending up seven, eight yards down the field against, you know, like mid, like mid level <laughs> offensive guards. It, it's, it's like he's got he's got so many embarrassing plays on tape, and I, I don't get how you can take that in the first round. It, I, I don't. I just I don't see it with him yet. I, I definitely, I, I definitely would not be surprised if he went, you know, in the bottom half of the first round just because the athleticism is there and you just don't find that many defensive tackles with. I mean, who can run like that and can jump like that and can move like linebackers? But there's a lot of holes in this game, and I, 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 I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on him getting that much better because you just don't, you don't see good players handle double teams as, as poorly as he does. If if I can't count on you to hold your 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 uh, gap at the point of attack, I can't put you on the field on non-passing downs. And, if you're just a, a sub-package three-tech three tech player, I mean, how valuable are you really if you're not going to stop and run it at all? I think that's a very fair take. I wouldn't be surprised if a team like the Bills decides to uh, to dabble in Kim DJ at some point in the first round. Maybe they trade up into the early second. Uh, before we end Putting up... Putting him with Rex seems like the worst possible idea. I... I think for, it would be like, interesting. a lot of reasons. <laughs> I think it would be an interesting experience. I wanted to get a take on one other defensive tackle before we end this segment off with sort of like the hot takes or any other final claims you want to make. Jaron Reed is somebody who, I'll be honest, I mean, I know he had hype. I never conceived him as a first-round pick until recently, until he got invited to the draft. And now it seems like he's pretty much solely in that first-round consideration. Um, do we think that that's valid? I mean, to me, he reminds me a little bit of Malcolm Brown, uh, with his ability to get lateral on the line of scrimmage. I don't think he's the most dynamic pass rusher, but I think he's an okay, uh, rotational player, and he definitely has athleticism. Are we okay with him going in round one in this class? Uh, basically, all my Jerron retakes are, like, based off live views, because I watch the SEC all the time, but I thought he was really good. And then there was the one play against Clemson where he runs, like, he runs down someone to the sideline. I think it was the Clemson game. And, like, you just don't see that from guys his size. Like, that's kind of freaky. Uh, so, just based off kind of the live stuff I've seen from Alabama, uh, I I would probably, like, if Jerron Reed ran in that, like, 20-something range, I'd probably be like, yeah, that checks out. Alright, so to end up this segment, are there any other really crazy takes that you've seen about offensive linemen or edge or tackles before we get to the back seven? Um, I thought it was interesting that Ryan Riddle said that this was one of the worst defensive tackle classes he had ever scouted. And I, I don't, I, I'm just like on the complete opposite spectrum. Like, if, like from round one through seven, if you need a guy who can come in and compete for snaps day one, you can find one fairly easily. I don't really see where he's coming from on that one. Okay, so let's go to the back seven, finish this up. Um, I want to start with Miles Jack. Yes. Miles Jack is someone who, it sounds like, might slip. Um, Because there is some fear now that his injury might be worse than expected. 
So if his injury is – let's split the difference. Let's say it's an injury that is – that that is worse than you think, but isn't career ending. We don't know like how a rim where ramification have in this game necessarily, but it is maybe an injury that is worse than we think. Where would we feel comfortable taking him? Is he still a player even with the injury who is a top five player in this class? Or do you feel less comfortable taking him that high given the fact that you don't know if you're gonna get the Miles Jackie side CLA? My thing is, like, I th- it's probably fair to say, like, he's an elite athlete, and uh, I think Will Carroll in Doug Ferrar's piece said that uh, his injury was not as bad as what Gurley's was. So for Jack to be an elite athlete and his injury not to even be as bad as Gurley's, like, I'm like, if he even just comes back like 95% of what his athleticism was, like, he's he's still kind of freaky. Yeah, and then, okay, this isn't necessarily regarding his knee or anything, but the one thing I don't get with Miles Jack is people freak out. They're like, oh, look at Deion Jordan. Deion Jordan was asked to do a lot, and he wasn't actually good, and then Miles Jack was asked asked to do a lot, so we should be worried. Well, Deion Jordan was more supposed to be like an edge rusher that was asked to do a lot. Jack is a linebacker that was asked to do a lot of things, and Jack did them incredibly well. Like, Deion Jordan kind of was good. Like, Jack... Jordan was okay at a lot of things. Jack is really fucking good at a lot of things. Uh, I just Jack is I, I don't know. Jack is just so awesome. Man. He's sick, man. Like, <laughs> like, like, it, it, like it's funny because at the beginning of the season, people are like, "Oh, well, here comes draft Twitter getting excited about another undersized coverage linebacker." No, the dude is six. He, he played at. He played anywhere from like 235 to 240 at 6'1", so the size issues go out the window right there. And you're talking about a 240-pound linebacker. And if you read Doug Farrar's piece today uh, where you had the film room with Miles Jack, they asked him in 2014, Jim Moore was like, all right, you're our best coverage player. Go lock down Nelson Aguilar, who ended up being the first-round pick of the Eagles. So that, that's a 240-pound linebacker playing on a 190-pound receiver who, who ended up running a 4-3 at the combine. But we're talking about, like, next-level freakiness. So even if he, if he comes back at 80%, he's still, like, in that rare top percentile of NFL linebackers. And he, he had uh, his pro day when he said he was about 80 or 85%, and he still jumped a 40-inch vertical. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's ridiculous. This guy's a freak, and he, he's asked to do so many different things, like Derek said, and he just excels at everything. Uh, you know, we saw the Virginia game this year. He's in the box looking like a, like a true middle linebacker, thumping uh, against the run, and then he goes out in BYU, which was unfortunately his last game. And you see him playing cornerback, like slot cornerback, outside cornerback, safety, and he gets the game-winning pick on the edge down the field to win the game. And, and I, I, I can't really like say enough about how incredible this kid is. And I, I think Eric Stoner put it the best way. Jack has already done all the hard stuff that you, you project linebackers to do in a passing league, and you've seen him do it at an extremely high level. And and like anything you can sprinkle in where he's making plays against a run, that's just bonus. And I, I don't, I don't really get the apprehension on him if he's healthy. Uh, he's just 
one of the best players this year. And the thing is with Jack is, like, he's such a good athlete. That's all we talk about. But he's also really, really smart. And I think we saw, like, the Virginia game really, really showed, like, his intelligence as a middle linebacker. And it's something that we don't talk about enough. And, and because he got moved around so much, you didn't really get to, like, evaluate his, like, football IQ from a middle linebacker perspective. But he's, like... He was, I mean, he was getting there so quickly. Like, his ability to read and then just attack was just, like, so, so impressive. And then also his ability to diagnose in space is awesome. And, like, like what is what is the worst player you're getting with Miles Jack, honestly? And, like, I think, like, a pretty reasonable, and this isn't a floor comp, but I think a pretty, like, safe bet for Miles Jack is that you could get, like, a Thomas Davis-level linebacker. I mean, we're talking about a guy who can cover like crazy, who's going to bring the hit, and is also like really, really smart. Like that is worth, especially in this class, like a guy who can cover and run with anyone and can also come downhill like Miles Jack can. Like that's worth a top five pick, easy. And there's speaking about his smarts. There's one specific play I don't remember. I think it was early 2015. I don't think it was. It might have been the Virginia game. I'm not sure. But basically, uh, the the team, like, pulls a guard, and Jack sort of has this option to where he can, like, just hit that guard and close the, to the gap, and then someone else can clean up the play, or kind of, like, make this super risky, like, move inside and then try to make the tackle. And what he does is he just hits the guard, closes the gap, somebody else cleans it up, and it's like a two-yard gain. People went nuclear on him for that, and they were like, oh, he should have went inside and, and went for the tackle. It's like, first of all, most other linebackers probably don't even get in position to maybe make that play. Second of all, even with as athletic as he is, there's probably only like a 20% chance he makes that tackle. And if he doesn't, then there's a free guard to block someone else downfield, and now you've got a free runner that probably picks up like 10 yards. Like... Jack made it super – he was so aware of the situation and knew exactly what he was doing, and people got mad at him for not trying to make a very questionable play. People don't understand gap discipline. They yes. don't understand linebacker assignments. And I think I think a lot of people don't understand – I mean, on the other side of the ball, what the offense is trying to do in that situation. Like, if, if you're replacing – so on a pulling play, and that that the play side guard blocks down on the nose guard, and that backside guard's pulling through. He's just essentially replacing the gaps that were already there before, which means they didn't go anywhere. They just exist where Jack exists now, and for him to come down and just pop a guard and you know stumble in back and squeeze down like uh, so the so his his linebacker has an easier tackle. That's just it's great team football, and it's just it, it's it's. It's a place like that that, for some reason, people mock on draft Twitter, which I don't understand because, I mean, I, I just started coaching football this year, and uh, I, I mean, I've learned so much about, like, linebacker assignments and the offensive stuff, like, uh, offensive blocking scheme and stuff like that, and if you get a linebacker who's going to who's gonna come down and fill gaps, like, like, like a defensive tackle can against offensive linemen, and... You already know he can cover like a quarterback. That what do you stop overthinking this? You know, that's just yeah. it's, it's, he's an incredible football player. That's something that that's somebody that you want. Somebody you want on your team, no matter who you are. Like it's just he's he's great. If the knee holds up, he's going to be great. And 
if it's not great, then I'll just delete my account. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, not everyone's going to make a tackle every play. Like, you have to let other people make tackles on certain yeah. plays. And I think that sometimes we get a little bit caught up in sort of, like, the results-oriented stuff. But, you know, there are good plays, and there are a lot of systems. There's other guys on the field. Like, it's, it's okay to funnel plays to your teammates. Like, I don't get the backlash for people not trying to make a play every single time. So I want to quickly run over to the secondary. Um, so I think Jalen Ramsey is going to be the first quarterback off the board. And personally, I think he'd be slightly better at safety, but I get why he's getting touted so highly at cornerback. Um, to me, it's interesting that the next four off the board, in some order, are going to be Vernon Hargreaves, Mackenzie Alexander, Eli Apple, and William Jackson, at least in my opinion. I think Mackenzie actually is the one who could fall, which surprises me because uh, from a technical standpoint, I thought he was the best of the five. Who do you have as your second cornerback after um, Ramsey? And I think I know who Derek's answer is going to be. Yeah, it's got, yeah. I was, I, I'll admit, uh, I, like, I hopped off the, like, oh, take him top 12 or whatever, because, like, he's a short corner, and it, it worried me a little bit, because he did have some durability issues at Florida. Um, people will say, oh, he didn't miss a lot of games, but you saw him went out in, like, the second, third quarter kind of a lot. Um, but then he tested as, like, a 98th percentile athlete or something mm-hmm. ridiculous, and I was like, all right, he's I overthought this. He's incredible. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I was surprised how well he tested. Uh, and I, th- in my opinion, I think he's the most pro-ready cornerback in the class, even over Jalen and over McKenzie. I'm just a little bit scared about what happens when he loses a step. But I, I'm totally fine with taking him top 15. I think he's really, really good. And I think, uh, even though I really do like McKenzie, I think he's a really technical savant. Uh, I think he's really smart. Um, Apple and Jackson are both really good, too. I think both could be really good press corners. So this might be a slightly better I- cornerback class than I originally had given it credit for. Man, I, I mean, I, I'm on the complete opposite spectrum with Mackenzie Alexander. I think he's like one of the most overrated players I've seen this year. I mean, yeah, we're, we're talking about we're talking about a, a short corner who didn't test well. I mean, I, I can get over the zero interceptions thing. That's I mean, that's not a big deal. I see Trufant out here dropping balls like it's like it's his job. But you know, he's not physical against the run. It's full, he doesn't really know how to backpedal that well. He, he gets lost, you know, going against multi-level concepts against him. I don't, I don't, I don't get the hype. You know, it's like everything that we've been, we've been, uh, we've been clamoring about with cornerbacks. You know, if we want, if they're small, we want them to be great, be great athletes. Well, he's not. Well, if he's not a great athlete, he's small. We want him to be super productive. Well, he's not. We want, we will at least want him to be smart and physical. Well, he's not that either. So. I don't. What, what's the big draw? He, oh, he's he's loud and he's aggressive. Okay, it's sweet. I mean, so are like seventy percent of quarterback cornerbacks in the league. That's not really a special outlining defining trait with him. What, what's what's the big deal? And, um, I don't know quite where I stand on Mackenzie Alexander's no interception thing. But a couple of years ago, uh, Richard Sherman did this thing, uh, I think for NFL Network, and he ends up talking about, he's like, oh, well, the best cornerbacks don't get thrown at. And he said that that was wrong. The best cornerbacks bait quarterbacks into making dumb throws. And for McKenzie to have no interceptions, it seemed that he didn't 
you know, that he wasn't really able to do that. And that's kind of a concern because I think that's a good point. Like, I mean, football in general is chess. And if you're just kind of locking up one guy, I mean, yeah, I guess you're kind of taking him out of the play. But at the same time, then as an offensive coordinator and as a quarterback, you can just be like, all right, screw that. I don't have to deal with that. Um, whereas, you know, if you have a guy that's smart enough to, you know, bait throws in and stuff, then you have problems because you don't really know when or when you cannot, you know, attack his side of the field. The thing with college versus the pros, though, is I think in college it's a little bit harder to sort of think at that higher level of baiting the quarterback to throw into coverage because there are so many other outlets that quarterbacks can get the ball off to and the spread offense They're is... dumber, though. Yeah, but, yeah, so I think they'll throw to the open man. I think that they'll have those safety routes sort of more established. And the one thing that I'm going to say to defend Alexander, uh, in terms of what I signed him that I really liked, I think that, first of all, I don't think he tested, like, I think his spark was, like, 50%, which isn't amazing, but it still pretty much puts him at the baseline for, like, athletes in the NFL. And then I also think that he has really fluid hips, and he uses the sideline really well, which to me, is a skill that translates similar to like what Brandon Flowers did in Kansas City for a long time. Um, and, and that's sort of what I see in him. And I, I think that he can get smarter and get better at that position. So that's my that's why I like McKenzie. But we'll see what happens with him. I think he's going to get picked later than I originally had expected him to get picked. So hopefully he gets an opportunity and is able to show up. Um, ending off the evaluation process, because we've already been going for an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> So I just want to quickly end it with back seven. Um, any random takes that you've seen that are really hot or any hot takes you have? Um, I do have one, but I'll let you guys go first. Um, there's this there's this thing flying around. It's pretty popular about K.J. Dillon being better than Carl Joseph, which I just think is absurd. I think that Joseph is probably the best safety in the class, especially if you're um, putting Ramsey definitely a corner and – there's narratives about Joseph being too small. I mean, he's bigger than Earl Thomas. Um, that he's not like he's like a box safety in a free safety's body. That's not true either. He's definitely a free safety. He can cover over the top. He's very rangy, very intelligent, great ball skills. Um, he can come up. He can hit. And I mean, I remember his freshman year. I think like the first time I had like real exposure to him was his freshman year, and it was in their bowl. It was in West Virginia's bowl game against Syracuse. And it was like on a, like a third and one or a fourth and one play, and he just like stoned the running back, and it was like it was a running back, and he was a freshman at the time, so he probably weighed like 175, 180 pounds, and he stoned this this running back that was a senior, and just completely in his tracks, and it was just the most incredible like thing I I had seen to that point. I was like I I am going to love this like this guy for his entire career. He has been outstanding, and if he's healthy, if that knee checks out, which I know we. We were talking about earlier how there's a, a report came out today that his knee might not be as healthy as we would want it to be, but a healthy Carl Joseph is the top 12 player in this class and can, you know, end up being one of the better free safeties in the NFL, I think. And, was, and like, K.J. Dillon is just, like, an average, like, like he's going to be, like, a, end up being, like, a third safety in the NFL, probably. Yeah, I had that, like, oh, shit moment with Carl Joseph because I was watching Baker Mayfield, like, two, three days ago. And he has this one play where he flies from center field to the sideline and just kills Oklahoma's receiver, kind of like uh, HaHa did against Texas A&M. And I saw that one play, and it was instantly like, yep, he's got to go first round. There's no way he can. He's so – like, that one play 
safeties just don't make at the college level. So I, I, I was instantly sold because he moved so damn fast and just took this receiver out. I think the guy might have left the game for a little bit after that. It, 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 Carl Joseph is awesome. He's like a little missile. I'm also a – my take was that he was a top 15 guy if healthy. Um, but I actually think the safety class is better than a lot of people are giving really credit good. for. Uh, I was at the senior ball. I actually like KJ Dillon more than the third safety. I think KJ Dillon could start, especially when we have the likes of like Keyshawn Jarrett starting in the NFL. Uh, I think that um, Kendrick Lewis got paid like three million dollars, yeah, so exactly. I would say KJ Dillon is like okay. And I think Kevin Byard from Middle Tennessee State is really good. Um, Justin Simmons from Boston College. Still don't watch him. I think he's really good. I like AJ Stans from Kentucky, and he ran better his pro day, thankfully. So got down to like four or five. Then like, then like that's not even counting like Keanu Neal and Darian Thompson. Keanu Neal, who sounds like he's gonna go round one. Darian Thompson, um, Tyvis Powell from Ohio State, Von Bell. Von Bell has sort of fallen off the face of the earth, which is interesting to me because he was being first round hype for a while. He's still good. He's still a first round player. I I like. I think I'm actually. He's been overlooked by a lot of people, so he's someone who's interesting to me as well. Um, but yeah, overall, I do like this class. I think this class might be slightly better than I'd give it credit for, but again, it's lower in the class. That's why, like, if you're the Patriots and you have two second rounds, two third rounds, you're feeling better about your position than you would in a class that was more top-heavy. Uh, anyway, it's been a long time talking about football, so I'm just going to sort of consolidate the next couple of portions of the show together. Um, we'll just quickly do a run around. I wanted to expand for the society portion on the conversation I started with Matt Waldman last week about race in the quarterback position. Um, and, and, and Matt gave his perspective. Uh, he very famously, and I reference it in my podcast with him, went on a rant about how Teddy Bridgewater was going to slip in the 2014 draft because he was black um, and was right about that, which because he's prescient and Matt Waldman, of course he was right about it. Um, I just wanted to see, like, from your perspective, and I guess we'll start with Chuck, and then we'll move to Derek, Ben, and then I'll give my two cents. What do you notice uh, is different when black quarterbacks are evaluated as opposed to white quarterbacks? And what are things that really have jumped out to you this draft cycle? I mean, it's funny how quickly the conversation turns into intelligence. It's like, it's almost the first thing that we talk about when we talk about black quarterbacks, uh, you know, oh, how smart it's how smart is he and how good of an athlete is he, and then how good is he off the field, and then we'll talk about if he can actually throw the damn football. And it's it, it, like, we've seen people question Cardale's, Cardale Jones's character this year, and it, from from what it seems, he's just been nothing but and like a model citizen since that that dumb tweet that got taken way out of proportion like his freshman year like people are still holding that against him and we're talking about a guy who went to go pick up the guy who stole his or the guy who took the starting job from him from the police department when he got a DUI we're talking about JT Barrett and what are are we doing here what are we doing When when we see a guy like Trevon Boykin throw the ball with accuracy down the field and, and the, attack the middle of the field and, you know, make plays with his legs. We say, oh, well, that's just Josh Doxon. What can Trevon Boykin do as a receiver? He hasn't played receiver in three years. And I've, I know Derek has talked about this, but if you go to mockdraftable.com and you 
put Trevon Boykin at receiver, it's laughable. You know, he he would be one of the worst one of the worst athletes at receiver in the NFL, and now you're just asking him to go do it, and he hasn't done it in three years. It's it's frustrating, like how how quickly we're just gonna we, we set aside black quarterbacks and say, okay, well, you know, come on, like this guy, he he can't do it. He's not smart enough to do this, you know. He he just he just, he can't, and we don't really have an explanation why. Even though it's just backed up in historical bigotry and uh, racism that's been ingrained in society since you know the 1800s, and we're still dealing with those effects today. I mean, it's just laughable and it's dumb. Like I, I saw a few months ago, suggesting that Jacoby Brissett should think about switching positions in the NFL. Like to what? He runs, he runs like a five. He runs like a five flat. And he's like. 230 pounds, he can't do that. Uh, it's it's crazy the way that we look at black quarterbacks. Like, okay, Gruden today is saying that Christian Hackenberg, he wouldn't be surprised if Christian Hackenberg went in the first round. I mean, by that virtue, we should see 15 quarterbacks going in the first round ahead of him. I, I don't know. I, the way the NFL looks at quarterbacks is just horrible and stupid and backwards and is really just a mirror of how society looks down on minorities in general. Yeah, I mean, the whole... There's a lot wrong with quarterback evaluation, especially, like, in terms of race and stuff. But to quick touch on Boykin, yeah, like, if you plug him in on mock draftable to receiver, I think his highest test percentile is, like, 4%, which is awful. I mean, like, that's his highest... Uh, so he's basically he can't play receiver at the NFL uh, athletically. I, I think the biggest division, you know, that we see in how white quarterbacks versus black quarterbacks get evaluated is with white quarterbacks, people are so quick to cling on to the few good plays that they have, whereas with black quarterbacks, people are very very quick to cling on to the negative plays that they have, and and you know you can just kind of see how that comes up in reports and stuff. Um, I think really this is a great year to talk about it um, because Wentz kind of epitomizes the issue. Wentz is bad. He like he's not a good quarterback. Uh, he gets all these like dumb shit blanket statements that make him look better. Uh, oh, he's pro style. Uh, he's tall. Uh, he's intelligent. He's not even smart. Like he's honestly a dipshit. He stares at his first reads. He cements his feet in the pocket. Uh, I mean, his system isn't nearly as complex as we think it is. Like, it's basically Memphis's from under center and passing through four interceptions, whereas Wentz threw way more than he should. Wentz made a ton of mistakes, and he's doing this all at the Division Two level. Like, and pe- basically, the problem with Wentz is people – someone told me this on Twitter today. Like, people want Wentz to be this, like, underdog, superstar, white kid story, and it's fucking terrible. Because then you look at, like, because people call Wentz dumb, there's, he doesn't make, like, Cardale Jones makes the same mistakes that Wentz does, sort of. Like, like the way that they handle, you know, reading defenses and stuff is sort of the same. But Wentz gets this label that he's really smart, whereas for some reason Cardale Jones is an idiot. Like, they both just aren't that good at reading defenses, and that's okay, like, just, Call it like it is. You don't have to say that one is magically better than the other just because he's white. And I think that's the big thing is, you know, they just uh, – white quarterbacks tend to get a lot more good blanket statements, whereas black quarterbacks get a lot of the bad ones that just don't really make any sense. Yeah, 
The thing that is so obvious to me is is the revisionist history or, or just how the history is kind of constructed for, for the quarterbacks. And, and the Christian Hackenberg thing is a perfect example because people are still clinging on to his freshman year and saying, like, oh, well, like, look how good he was under, under Bill O'Brien. And, you know, he, he's a strong-arm quarterback and he's tall and he's athletic and whatever. But, like, that happened when he was 18 years old. And then, like, I, I talk about, like, yeah, but what did Cardell Jones do? What did Cardell Jones do a year ago? He went through a, a, on a four-game tear on the four most important games of his career and, like, the four most important games of his college's, you know, history – and he just absolutely ran roughshod through a couple of the best defenses and the best teams in the country. You know, he, he tore up Wisconsin, who I'm pretty sure had like a top five defense that year. He tore up Alabama, and then he wrecked Oregon um, to win the national championship. And we were like, oh, yeah, but like, look what he did this year. And it's the same thing you see it in the pro level, too. I mean, look at this whole RG3 thing. I mean, RG3 has had the best rookie season for a quarterback in NFL history. I don't. I, I'm not sure if that's debatable. Just like statistically, and he brought his team to the playoffs after they went like I think five and eleven the previous season, with not a very good supporting cast. His best receiver was Pierre Garcon, um, and they won seven straight to close the season. Yeah, I mean he was insane. He was insane. He had like a he had like a hundred something quarterback rating. He ran th- for like seven hundred something yards. He was just absolutely ridiculous. He got hurt. The whole organization completely fell apart under him. They didn't support him at all. It was a complete it was a complete organizational breakdown, and he suffered for it. Yeah, he didn't play well, but I mean, you can't put all the blame on him for that situation. Um, and then he and you know he ends up in Cleveland with Hugh Jackson. Everyone says like Cleveland needs to draft another quarterback. Like there's no way RG three could possibly resurrect his career. Meanwhile, we're talking about Blaine Gabbert, like he's the future in San Francisco. Blaine Gabbert has never, <laughs> Blaine Gabbert has never been good. There's not been a point in his college career. There's not been a point in his pro career where he showed that he could be a capable NFL quarterback. But he puts on a show against Atlanta. Sorry, Chuck. He puts on a show against yeah, Atlanta, and that's all people fucking talk about with him. They're saying this guy is going to be the future in. San Francisco for Chip Kelly, but we can't talk about RG three like he has a future in Cleveland. It's insane, and it's like that is the like that is the constant dichotomy both in the media representation and the actual execution in the NFL. I mean, look at Ryan Mallett. Ryan Mallett has gotten contracts from three separate football teams. Matt Castle has been traded for four times. I mean, how do you how do you rationalize this bullshit? These guys are awful, and they get paid like crazy because you talk about what they did five years ago, and you don't talk about the fact that Matt Castle is awful. You don't talk about the fact that Ryan Mallett's a dipshit and really bad at football. You don't talk about the fact that Blaine Gabbert has never been good at football and he's also a big pussy. Like, it's ridiculous. But, like, meanwhile, with RG3, like, RG3 got destroyed by the organization he got drafted by. They willingly went with Kirk Cousins over the guy they traded three first-round picks for. And, like, the guy was ruined by the team's own field. I mean, that was, that's absurd. And then Jay Gruden is, like, one of the biggest dicks in the National Football League and completely threw RG3 under the bus. But, like, People are talking about it like RG3 did this to himself, and there's no possible way for him to recover from it. It's totally ridiculous. You see that representation in the NFL. It's happening in the draft. It happens every year, even with last year. I mean, like, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota were so obviously both very, very good quarterback prospects, and nobody could stop talking about how stupid of a prospect of of a quarterback Jameis Winston was. Like, that was, like, the biggest narrative. It was like, J- Jameis Winston is an idiot. Like, he cannot read defenses. He turns the ball over a lot because he cannot read defenses. He's going to, like, he's an idiot. Like, 
okay, I, I get the whole character thing. Like, that's a legit thing to talk about. Um, and, but, and like the turnover thing had nothing to do with him not being a smart quarterback, but like people bought into it. They're like, this guy's obviously not smart. And then this year we have, we have Jared Goff and Carson Wentz who are, one is physically not talented. One is mentally not talented. And, and we're talking about them like they're the second coming and they're so obviously better than, than the Hawaiian and the black guy who were the top quarterbacks in last year's class. And it's so gross it's so fucking gross and then whenever you bring it up people are like oh you always make this about race it's like it's so fucking clearly about race and you try to just throw it on you just kind of like throw it away you know put a put a wet blanket on it but like we're, we're seeing these tropes getting played out over and over i saw someone say like cardell jones should move to tight end are you fucking kidding me like are you fucking kidding me like and then Jeff Driscoll runs a four five three at the combine. He's literally never been good ever. But because he had like an okay career at Louisiana Tech, I saw someone put him as their quarterback three. Like, are we not gonna? Are we just gonna completely erase like all the bad shit he did in his entire career? But because he's a tall white guy and you think he's well spoken or whatever, you're gonna put make him you know a potential quarterback two on your football team. It's so ridiculous. That, was, wasn't that it even happened like, to him at Florida? Like all the players were like, dude. Like, Brissett has been, like, all these other quarterbacks that we have behind Driscoll are better than him. And so many people wanted, like, Brissett to start. And the coaching staff just wouldn't do it. They kept rolling with, you know, the tall white kid that was the number one oh, overall God. quarterback so or whatever bad. the fuck he was. And when, then, you know, Brissett goes on to have, like, a pretty decent career at NC State, like, if he was at Florida, oh, shit. He would have been awful would because Muschamp was an awful That's coach. true. But the thing is, like, even okay, with, even with Brissett, <laughs> like, even with Brissett, like, Brissett is, like, an aggressive quarterback, but I don't think, like, mentally he's any different than Bortles. Like, he's that same kind of, like, gunslinger, does dumb shit quarterback, but, like, he's going to give you some ridiculous plays, but everyone talks about him like he can't even add, like, two and two together. And, like, NC State's surrounding talent was awful. Like, their offensive line was awful. Like, most of their receivers were bad, and their running backs were okay. Like, Brissett was pretty much running the show all by himself there, and he did a pretty damn good job of it, but, like, he gets played out to be this idiot. And it's just, it's, it's so, it's so obvious what this is. And you just can't talk about it. It's and it's insane. It's insane. Remember last year, like with Mariota, we were wondering if, like, if he could figure out how to take a, a, a snap under center. Like, get out of here. That takes like if you people, people. People said it was a red flag that he did not have red flag. Oh, like, I remember. What does that, that mean? No. Like, I don't even understand that because even if you want to pull that dumbass card, like, oh, that he's this super clean guy off the field, and oh, he's super nice, and he he's not, you know, an aggressive mentality guy. It, wouldn't golf kind of fit into that category? But nobody's yeah. talking about it with him. No, he would. And the thing is that the thing with Wentz that sets him apart, allegedly, from what I heard in Mobile, is that he's competitive. And so people love that fire. I know Chuck, you saw in Mobile how he w- they were doing the jog at the beginning of practice, and, like, he ran to the front of the pack. Ugh. Like, everyone loved that so much. <laughs> I do that. Like, like oh. people, yeah, like, people act like all the other quarterbacks just don't care for some reason. Like, get the fuck out of here. And I just remember um, Gil Brandt saying... Um, when he was talking about like, potential draftable quarterbacks, he brought up Joel Stave. Oh and it was God. like, he's tall, so he's draftable. And I was like, oh no. 
That, that's just a bad idea. Well, Gil, Gil's, just, Gil's just a mouthpiece for agents, though. The funny so. thing, though, that's interesting with Gil Brandt, and this goes with Pax and Lynch, because I think it's interesting that Lynch has not gotten the hype Wentz has when they are literally... I think Lynch is better, but they're very similar prospects. Gil Brandt has not been hyping him. And he hyped all the Lee Steinberg clients last year, but he has not been hyping Wentz. I, I think mean, it's Lynch. It's because of it's because of a couple of things, and I've talked about them on the show before. Um, when Adrian Hanks was on, I mentioned that um, there were some shoulder issues with Lynch. Um, there's also some off-field issues with Lynch about his dedication to football. So, which I think that's a whole other story that I, I don't really want to get into right now. But I, I do think that. Um, it is interesting to see who gets hyped and who doesn't and when the hype train drops off. Because, like, that past Lynch hype train was strong at the end of the year, and then all of a sudden it just began to veer off the tracks a little bit, and then the, the Carson Wentz hype train rolled in, and that's sort of been the way everyone's been going since then. Uh, but, yeah, you're these, cool. Yeah. These will be, like, the last two things I say. Uh, first, I want to reiterate that Carson Wentz is not smart. He's actually an idiot and can't really read defenses all that well. Second, uh, Pax, okay, tell me if you've heard this before. I said this before we went on air. Tall, strong-armed, athletic, spread quarterback from a mediocre system has a bad bowl game and takes a draft stock tumble. Look at Derek Carr. Now look at Paxton Lynch. It's like the same storyline, and I don't get how people, like, are just missing that. You know what's weird? Like, what what did, like, what did you expect was going to happen in that bowl game with Paxton Lynch? His coach had already did some Virginia Tech, and he's got, you know, like, like five high school receivers going against Auburn. I don't, I don't and know. And it was raining, and it was like, if they, it, and it didn't matter. It was his last game. He's about to get paid. He's a junior, so it's not like he stayed there to, like, do anything prestigious. Like, he had nothing riding on that game. I will say that. And he already showed he could beat a top team. He whipped Ole Miss. But my favorite Paxton Lynch take, and we'll, maybe we'll have, like, one more final football take for all of us, and we'll end the podcast after this. I actually, I was talking to somebody who has talked to a couple of scouts before, and they said that in their in a team's interview, they asked Paxton Lynch to shave his beard and goatee because he didn't look quarterback enough. Boo! That's fucked. He looks awesome. Boo! He looks like he looks like Jack Sparrow. I, I mean, yeah, personally, like, I, I want that guy running my offense. Personally, how, I, I how demoralized think would it be for that guy to put up four touchdowns on you? <laughs> like he looks like a goofball. How demoralizing is that for this idiot to go out and throw like? Four touchdowns and three. Like he like yards. scores a touchdown when he does just, like the evil mustache. Um, I mean, personally, I I I think that if you want to look up a picture of Paxton Lynch's goatee and mustache, you can decide yourself, listener. But um, yeah, I that, that, very much a fan. The NFL is. We're gonna end after each of us sort of do our sign off. Why don't you tell the people where they can find you and leave us with one more take? Um, as we get closer to the draft. So we'll start with Derek. All right, uh, you can find me at Playmaker Mentality or Optimum Scouting. Uh, I do most of my work there. You know, it's mostly quarterback stuff. It's in the at, uh, at QB class, Q-B-K-L-A-S-S. You have one more take to share with us? One more fire take. Uh, one one more take. Um, I would I would just like to reiterate for a third time that Carson Wentz is not smart. Okay. 
<laughs> I wonder what his Wonder Link is. Do we know his Wonder Link yet? <laughs> I, I don't know. Probably scored, like, really high on the Wonder Link. Okay, he's, he gets, like, the, oh, he scored high on the ACT and shit. Like, I don't... <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard, and he's kind of dumb, so I don't care. Yeah, well, Chuck, uh, give us your what, where your people can find you and what your final take is. Uh, you can find me at doing pretty much right now. I'm just grinding at the Falcoholic, doing a uh, you know draft related stuff, and I'll be running the tracker there um, during the draft. Uh, I might do some stuff for Optimum Scouting, but that's just probably not going to happen until I see that draft guide money. If you listen, Galco, I have my eyes on you. And on my bank account. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if I, if I had one hot take to get off here, um, Sheldon Rankins, five-plus sacks as a rookie. That's my hot take. All right, Ben. I am Ben. Um, you can find me at, uh, you can find me at bleedinggreennation.com. I'm the, the draft writer there. And you can find me on Twitter at B-G-N-A-T-A-N. And I never tweet about football. I only tweet about how much I hate my football team and also my personal life. Um, and we are actually, Bleeding Green Nation is doing an event in Philadelphia next week for the draft. It's a live radio event at Nick's Roast Beef. Uh, hundreds of people are going to be there. It's a uh, live radio event with uh, Bleeding Green Nation Radio and 97.5. Um, it's going to be awesome. So if you're in the Philly area, you should try to get there. And and you get to you get to see my live reaction, both on my face and vocal reaction to the Eagles trading up for Carson Wentz, who I actually look like. So yeah. Oh, draft take. Yeah. Um. Oof. I already gave my one draft take that Ezekiel Elliott's the best player in the class. Um, shit, I don't have a draft take. Jack Conklin's awful. That's my draft take. How about that? That works. And I will leave you with one more note. We talked about Emory Hunt earlier. Uh, he actually hyped up a UConn player. And as someone who reports on the UConn Husky football team for UConnReport.com and the UConn blog and SB Nation, um, Julian Campenny, the defensive tackle, Emory Hunt gave him a second-round grade. So I'm going to, like, hype him up now because I like that Emory Hunt video. So I will link that video out. I also wrote an article about it and link to the video there. Um, I'll tweet that out later. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm sure I tweet it out at some point. Anyway, that is it for this episode. A super long episode, extra stuffed, extra packed, lots of talk. Uh, one more week to the draft. We'll have one more episode before then. And otherwise, uh, we'll talk to you later.